What is up, everybody? Welcome into the Man Room. I'm your host, Marcus Bridges, and uh, tonight we've got a great show lined up for you. Uh, and we'll get around to bringing our guest in in just a second. As always, you got to take care of the business side of things. Don't forget to check us out on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Anchor, all the ones you listen to. That's where you can listen to The Man Room. I'll also have a graphic video out on YouTube, and uh, you can check that out on Facebook as well. www.themanroompodcast.com is the website, and uh, pretty much all the other socials are slash The Man Room Podcast. So go check those out. Um, without further ado, because I just am so excited about this one that I want to get into it, um, I'm going to bring in my guest tonight. He is a comedian. He's a he's a writer. He's a musician. Uh, kind of a jack of all trades when it comes to entertaining you. And uh, a, a good friend of mine and somebody that I miss dearly because I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, please welcome as I cue up my applause to the Man Room Podcast. As I'm still queuing up my applause, Dylan Flynn. Took- oh shit! <laughs> been- how, how long has it been, dude? How long? Uh, I mean, it's you know? at least a couple of years because I know we haven't seen each other since long before COVID, and that's kind of oh, yeah. That's kind of sure. the the like the calendar that I use now. As as blue as that sounds, I'm like, well, what happened before the world ended? You know? Yeah, it's like the new 911. It, it's it really be pre is. and post COVID. It really is, and we've lived through both of those things, and I'm not any better for it. This was weirder. Yes. 9-11 was like more more dramatic and and people like really started, you know, acting different around it. But this was way weirder, I felt. It, it was. And I think that uh, 9-11 had this real like this, uh, this real bring together patriotism effect where COVID had this real everybody oh. stay away. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's like nobody, nobody was unified no. over COVID-19. It didn't help yeah, that no it kidding. fell on an election year either. I don't think oh. like that's a year that nobody's prone to really get along that well anyway. And so when it drops kind of right in your lap, everybody's pissed. Nobody knows what's going on. We've got zero leadership whatsoever, so we're fucked there. I mean, it was just, it was chaos, man. I'm glad that we're kind of peeking out of it. Like, I went out to the driving range yesterday, and I was the only oh, guy sick. out there. There was like eight stalls between me and the next people, and I, I got to thank them. Bless their hearts. They were wearing their masks uh, 30 yards away from me, and i really, really happy that they were doing that for me because I felt safe. I did not have mine on because I was drinking beer, as I am wont to do. <laughs> <laughs> the driving range is like it to me. It almost is shocking that golf courses even exist as soon as they invented the driving range. Cause then, they, because it's so much more satisfying <laughs> to just, to just, just chip the fuck out of a ball, just send it flying. Like fi- literally fill your body head to toe with rage and just see if you can launch that thing. Like, <laughs> so superior to the experience of playing 18 holes, you know, hot summer day. Good Lord. You with a gun to my head, you couldn't get me to do it. You <laughs> I, couldn't. I love it, man. I just, I love uh, just swinging the club. And I think that's what it is for me. I have, I have a couple of 
hobbies that might not sound aggressive, but are actually exactly that for me. They're very, I, there's a very big outlet and it's a physical thing. Uh, golf totally. is one of them. I'm also, I've been a drummer my entire life and nobody's known that that's just code for me being able to legally beat the fuck out of something. That's um, yeah, it's just a punching bag music version. Exactly. You know? It's my little it's my little karate guy that I get to beat up every now and then. It's just uh it's spread out in front of me and every now and then something that sounds okay comes out of it. So, you know, it's <laughs> I mean, you know, the the art it's is the feeling you put into it is what matters, you know? It's not for listening back to, it's just for bleeding it dry and then you're like you leave it behind, you know? You know, like some filmmakers just make like 20 movies a year and they never and you ask them like well, what do you think about it? They're like, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> That's how you got a drum. Also, the other thing about the driving range, no walking, yeah. and it's always your turn. That's true. Two extremely superior qualities over the game of golf, in my opinion. Yeah, and look, I'll tell you something I've heard on the driving range. I can't even count how many times, and I've never heard on the course, is like a really aggressive, like, woo-hoo! Or, you know, <laughs> Like one of those one of those expressions that people only make when they're a certain amount of drunk that they can't like it would get you removed from your typical golf course, but your driving range expects it. So, you know, they, it, should, they should make a spectator sport of it. It would be so sick. You wouldn't have to be all polite and quiet. You know, when people let let one off real, real good, and you can see it soaring. You just go like, shit, yeah, fuck, yeah, you know, just like really happy Gilmore it up. Uh, haven't you watched any of the long drive competitions? That's basically I what have, it is. I have. That is what it is. That Those is what guys it is. grunt right. like Serena Williams when they hit a ball, too, which I think should be something that is like, look, if you want to bring gamesmanship into golf a little bit, then grunt when you swing your club and your buddies will start to get intimidated, right? Oh, they should mic those dudes, though, just so you can hear them go like, oh, I fucked that putt up, you know? <laughs> yeah, one of them, actually, they uh, they caught him on a mic because there's no gallery. So this last year, they caught a really popular golfer, Justin Thomas. Um, he used a, uh, a homophobic slur that you might be familiar with that sure. you know, most of us grew up calling our friends, and now we don't say it anymore because it's not cool, but... Uh, he called himself that after missing like a three foot putt, and it came in clear as day. I'm just watching like NBC, and I'm like, he said what? Did he? Did his caddy call him that? Oh, that's so good. This self, the self F slur. That's like that was that was beaten into you by public schooling. Oh yeah, you know when you're when you're calling yourself that. That was just like eighth grade, just drilled it into your head. Every time you mess up for the rest of your life, you're going to mutter it under your breath. Well, and he's, you know, he, he's a little younger than you and I, at least a little younger than me. And so he's he probably didn't have it quite as much as we did. But at the mm -hmm. same time, it's for him, it's the ultimate self burn. It's like the only thing that you can say to yourself that really gets through your own thick skull. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I did do that. But it's unfortunate that, uh, you know, I picked it up. He had to issue apologies and everything like that. But that's run of the mill for sports these days is, you know, completely fly off the cuff at the mouth and then apologize and go back to hitting the ball or whatever you do. He probably learned it playing Modern Warfare. That's yes. probably where he that's probably where he was most exposed to it. You know, my friends and I in like 2008 or nine, we were like, OK, Let's stop using calling things gay as a pejorative and let's stop using that F slur because it's just like it's in the past. Let's leave it in the past. Right. But the way we figured out to make it work is if any of us caught each other doing it, we could give You know what a dead arm is? Oh, yeah. That's a great punishment. We just, yeah. We just give each other dead arms if we ever use the F slur or called something gay as a pejorative, you know. And uh, it really worked. I recommend it. <laughs> it's amazing how <laughs> physical violence will actually beat something out of you. Isn't it funny how that works? I love yeah, it, that's man. What, that's what parenting's all about. Not really. Just joke, <laughs> joke. Not Jokes. really. 
Jokes on the Man Room podcast is something you're going to hear a lot of. And uh, before we get any further, because I have a ton of stuff that I want to talk to you about, and it's like so much that I didn't even have to write it down. It's just running on a on a Rolodex in my head. So Great. I, I apologize if I run away from something that you were like, hey, I was still talking about that. Just stop the train and tell me to shut up and we'll get back to it. Because I, I have a tendency to get a little... Uh, a little overzealous when I do these, I've noticed. I love the way you steer this show. I'm a, can I say I'm a fan of this show? I'm current on this show. I've listened to all of them. And I love what we're about to do, I think, if I know correctly what we're about to do. It's like you, one of my favorite parts of the show. You know correctly what we're about to do. And you are dressed for it, too, by the way. I love the shirt. Um, hopefully, there will be a video element to this podcast soon so you can enjoy uh, looking at Dylan's awesome Hawaiian shirt like I am. I really mailed it in tonight. White shirt, white hat. Aren't I am impressive? I mean, this isn't even, this is just like a Stafford t-shirt. <laughs> You're coordinated. You're coordinated with the hat. And and I mean, the studio, it's not even a comparison. Yours looks like badass. You oh. got signage up there looking great. Yeah, man. I, uh, I, I absolutely did not steal that sidewalk clothes sign from the local <laughs> municipality. Um, <laughs> Uh, real quick, because yours is going to be so much more exciting than mine, so I'm just going to get mine out of the way real quick. We always talk about what we're drinking in the man room, and uh, tonight I am drinking Emerging Sunshine India Pale Ale from Block 15 in Corvallis. Um, it says crisp, refreshing, and bursting with citrus, mango, and floral hop notes. This golden IPA is inspired by budding hops and spring sunshine, chasing away the winter haze, something that we could all use right now. I, I You know, spring has sprung, I think, here in Eugene, Oregon, where I'm at, uh, 70 plus degrees today for most of the afternoon. So this beer is hitting right in the center of where it needs to. Um, I love it. And I, I, you guys are going to hear it too. You're current on this show. I'm a sucker for Block 15. So you're going to hear me talk about them a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm a sucker for a Pacific Northwest IPA in general. But the the semiotics of that one, it's the it's the the long winter of disc, discontent <laughs> gives way to glorious spring when you drink this IPA. I mean, that's a fucking sales pitch. Yeah, right it really is. It really is. And and well done. Uh, the beer tastes amazing. Everything they said about it is exactly right. Uh, enough about what I'm doing over here because I know that you've got something to talk to us about. So please. Okay, so my wife and I are really into making mixed drinks, like froofy cocktails with each other, right? And she got me this book that is like all of the original recipes for the actual tiki bars of like the famous ones of like the 50s and 60s, the Tonga Room and the Copacabana and all that shit. And uh, we've just been kind of working our way through it. We had to buy a bunch of stuff because it's all mostly stuff that only gets used in tiki drinks. But I made a really elaborate one tonight knowing I was coming on the show. So I made something called a Pearl Divers Punch. Mm. Let me tell you what's in it first. It's got... Uh, three kinds of rum. It's got a golden Puerto Rican, uh, a golden Jamaican, and a, a Demerara dark rum that is overproof. That's like a 151. Oh, yeah. It's like the, the Everclear of, of uh, rums. And then uh, orange juice, lime juice, and then I, this concoction called Pearl Diver Mix, which, uh, you know, I mean, like, it, it's already like a little bit less manly than your normal fare that I'm that I'm making a mixed drink uh, here, but then the fa all this pearl imagery really makes me feel like I've I've made some statements about my sexuality today, which I'm comfortable with. I'm right. fine with that. Right. I uh, so so that has sweet cream butter, orange blossom honey, uh, uh, e e pimento liqueur, cinnamon syrup, and vanilla syrup, and then it finishes off. Uh, with some homemade falernum, which I, I could explain what falernum is to you. 
but this has gone on a long time and it will go on much longer if I ex explain what Falernum is. So well, maybe I'll just back it off there and say that's everything. Uh, but perhaps most exciting is that I am serving it in this uh, <laughs> <laughs> this ceramic uh, frog. Complete with straw coming right out the nose. I love it. Yeah. He's kind of hideous. He looks like something you get at a yard sale, you know? Did you get or it at like, a yard sale? No. Uh, my wife got it for me for my birthday. I think she probably paid, like, a real premium on it. But okay. just look how ugly it is. I, it's great. <laughs> it's amazing. I have I have a 49ers mug. I have nothing that elaborate. So, And, and I will tell oh, you. so good. I will tell you right now with the description that you gave me, if I was baked right now, I would have the munchies because you kind of described like you're like sweet cream butter and cinnamon. Like we were making cinnamon rolls for a second and yeah, you know, three different kinds of rum. I, Dude, it sounds great. I mean, that's the only way I can drink rum now because I had a run in in college that we don't want to get into it. But mm -hmm. if it's not something that's mixed into a really good cocktail, like I can't do your standard um well rum and coke from from you know insert bar here i will destroy the bathroom with the things that come out of my mouth there was a fucking guy who would show up he wouldn't go up but there was this guy who would go to lucky's who would just order captain morgan shots oh and i'm who's who's fucking doing shots of golden <laughs> rum i don't That's know so man so weird it's like sugar butter it's like just it doesn't have a taste that pleases when it goes down at least to me and like I said, if it's in like a Mai Tai or something like that, you know, on my honeymoon, we went to Hawaii and I just fell in love with Mai Tais again. Because if you, you know, having That's a Mai so Tai is one thing, but having a Mai Tai in paradise, like, can you even compare, you know? Oh, it's the, it's the best. It's the best. I'm supposedly going to be going to Hawaii this year, but of course you never know. Yeah. Right. That's all still wishful thinking. Now, uh, how's a vaccination uh, situation down where you're at? I know that um, I'm not 100% sure exactly what your wife does, but um, has she been and have you been at this point to where you actually can travel? Because I know my dad and my mom are going to Hawaii in a couple of weeks, maybe just a week. But they're, I mean, it's super strict with all the paperwork that they've had to do, and they had to have a certain amount of days past their vaccination. Um, are you are you prepared for that, or are you just kind of waiting until later on because, you know, it is how it is in our state? We're waiting. Uh, she's fully vaccinated and has been for a while. <clears throat> she's a family medicine doctor uh, and also a hospitalist, and uh, I'm a stay-at-home dad. So <laughs> I, I've actually had my first round uh I was, it wasn't technically my turn yet. I guess you could kind of call me a line jumper, but it's more just like, I knew that they were doing a clinic day of vaccines and I knew when it ended. So I just showed up at the end and I was like, Hey, if there's any, uh, doses left kicking around, I'd sure love to get mine. And they were like, all right. Yeah. And dude, I don't think you're a line jumper. I mean, you got to think like, so my wife manages a dental clinic and all the doctors got like a list of like 20 people that they could just put on. Like some of them were walking around just shopping it oh. to people because they didn't have enough like family members and immediate friends that wanted to get it at that time. And Fuck. so, I mean, and here's the other thing, storage with this vaccine is a little bit shaky. And a lot of times they end up throwing some of these things out. I don't think there's any reason to waste this. We waited for an entire year with sweatpants on for it. And if you're in line and you're at the end of the day, and, and plus it's about her exposure to you after she's vaccinated, it's like, then you're, you're just what a ticking time bomb that gets to run around the house with the kids. So no, I, exactly. I, I think it's great, man. And I, I hope that, especially if you have travel plans, because you know, that's what I, my wife's gone through it. She's good to go. Um, 
we had to cancel a trip to Las Vegas when the lockdown happened. Like we were going, it was like May, I think we were going. And we just kept, after everything shut down in March, we just kept waiting and waiting and waiting until the last minute and finally canceled it. And um, in March, in March, there was some talk like, "Hey, maybe things will be up and running by May." Yeah, remember we were were we ever so fucking oh, gullible God. and simple? Just did we, stupid. we had no idea. <laughs> we had no idea. It's like what that, we were in for like that country song. If I didn't know, then what I didn't know now. Ah, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm, I, that's kind of what I'm thinking is, and I, I hear that everybody's supposed to be eligible in in our state of Oregon by uh, like May first or something like that. Everybody over sixteen, yeah. you hear that? But it's crazy, man. Like the epicenter of the entire thing, New York City, is everybody over sixteen is already eligible in New York City, and that's only the biggest city in the country. So how on earth am I sitting here in like a very low populated state? Still not on the list. That's kind of bugged me a little bit. When I read that headline on Wednesday, I I bit my lip a little bit and tried to not just only think it was about me, which is so hard for me to do. Um, it's so- just who's been on the horn in our in our state legislature? You know, signing the paperwork for this shit eight months ago, and the answer is in Oregon, not that many people. Yeah, and in New York, lots of people. All so of the them. supply chains already already working out for them. It's coming though. We're all going to be vaccinated except for the dummies who won't and or and also there are some people with legitimate like allergies and things that can't get it yep that's also a thing i was reading this article like a week ago on reuters that the crux of it was like what will we do once all of the people who want the vaccine have gotten it what will we do about the people who who don't want to get the vaccine should we roll things out a little slower to give them a chance to come around i'm just like fuck you if you if you're not getting this thing the second your number is called i'll give a fuck what happens to you after we start opening this shit up you we this you fair you had a fair chance yeah you had your chance you did i you know i agree with that i agree with that on even a larger kind of zoomed out scale i'm sick of like a a few people the vocal minority getting to change the way that the whole thing happens just because they're uncomfortable or you know you start your you start your sentence with point of personal privilege or something like that it's like dude we don't all have to talk one way we don't all have to think one way we're still in a country that was kind of predicated on being free so you do you but you also let me do me and you don't give a fuck about what I'm doing just like I'm not going to give a fuck about what you're doing so it's it really is easy to reciprocate it's not hard and it's not illogical and it's not crazy it's actually why we're all here yeah <laughs> i mean yeah it's mind bending to me how much power there is in this country just in being fucking loud oh god well, I just shouldn't be loud, be loud enough and you get a seat at the table. It's crazy. It's what I'm doing with this podcast. Stop blowing up my spot. All right. <laughs> I, even, I even bought uh, a new mic. So I was louder. <laughs> you I, sound great, dude. I'm excited. It's dude, like it's all it's like we're already on version two of them. Excited. <laughs> oh, thank you, man. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, I appreciate you coming to hang out with me tonight. I one thing really want to talk about uh because I totally forgot to mention it in my intro, which is why I should write things down. But you have a podcast that is deep in, and I've been listening up. I, I'm not caught up. I will I will not sit here and, and blow smoke at you. I've got a lot of work to do. But tell me about Play It By Year with Duff Dixon, because I was on the floor laughing the other day. And, uh, dude, you're doing so well with that. I mean, the whole thing just it, it plays out like a TV show in your mind, and I absolutely love it. So. Please. Dude, thank you so fucking much. It's uh, it's a really unfriendly thing 
to get up on if you're not if you weren't there from day one. But we've tried we've like tried to figure out some shit to make it a little a little easier. Play it by year is a also a really difficult thing to explain, but at its core, it is a music. A lot. We do it live on Sunday nights. It's a music like comedy call-in chat show uh, where each episode is a different year, and I play all music from that year, kind of organized into these blocks of, you know, organized around either a genre. Like I did 1976 recently, so I did like the punk rock block and the Euro pop block. Uh, or like, for example, I did uh, 1999 uh, uh, was the most recent episode. And I think I did a, a, a like a, an arty, hyper-literate weirdos block where I did like Tom Waits and Fiona Apple. You'll hear like metal. <laughs> you'll hear hip hop. It's very eclectic, but it's all kind of like the, the, the idea is you want to kind of give the people some taste of like what was music culture that year. So that's the music side of things. And then I hosted in character as this guy named Duff Dixon. Uh, he's from East Texas, and he is a former CIA time traveler. And as a result of, of his uh, exploits in the CIA, he's uh, he's 20 billion and 33 years old. He's kind of he's kind of happy-go-lucky. He's got a big heart. He's a sweet guy. Uh, and uh, And there's just kind of like this ongoing serialized sci-fi adventure that runs through the show about like trying to prevent this cataclysmic event that will end the world uh in 2021 and uh and all those things run together we also take calls from listeners and like sometimes people call in to do like improv shtick as little characters that you've had seth milstein on he's done some funny some funny improv uh character work on that show before and yeah, it's just something that uh, that really came out of this pandemic and and like needing an outlet to do the all the things that I love doing, which are like music and world building and like comedy and improv and uh, and big influence the just the the love of live broadcast that I really like picked up a little bit in high school working for the high school radio station but really picked up doing the the donkey show <clears throat> with you and drew in those last couple of years before things all all fell apart there uh j- there's just something kind of like i mean i don't need to fucking tell you there's something like warm and and cozy about pushing a slider up and, a, and some music's coming down and you're coming up and you're there's people on the other end hearing your voice and like i don't know man there's just something very like uh, addictive and, and nostalgic about that. But anyway, I do it live on Sunday nights and then it goes up on, on the next day on, you know, Spotify and Apple podcasts and all that shit. It's probably the, most of the same places you're on. Uh, we're, we're going to do a total of six seasons. I, I work on the show mostly with my friend, uh, Jeff Smith, who, who we kind of like <clears throat> work out the lore together. He also plays a, a, a major recurring character on the show. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. It's just something that like, it's very ambitious, but it's also like incredibly, um, it's manageably small. It doesn't take many people to make it happen. So you can make this really big thing with, uh, with the, just a few small hands and, and, you know, there's nobody, there's no boss to tell you that you can't do it. It's, it's fully democratized content. So I'm just making like a big, crazy sci-fi comedy show, uh, with like all kinds of dumb decisions that if I had a boss, they would be like, 
you're not doing that. Don't do that. <laughs> and they probably would have been right. I probably would. Cause again, like I said, it's two hours a week. We do it every week. It's a lot to get caught up on. But if you want to just like really quickly try to cram the whole thing, we do, it's broken up into seasons. We're in season three right now. At the end of each season, my friend Jeff, who I work on the show with, puts together this like recap episode that kind of like just takes you through all the plot of the previous season. So if you wanted to just like, if you just cram that, you're, you're, you're caught up on the lore and you can kind of dive in with the rest of the show. But it's, but it's just like a, it's, if nobody listened to the show, I would continue doing it just as, just to have the outlet. Cause I find it like, supremely fun to do really fun to work with all my friends i'm gonna have you on uh doing some i, I don't want to spoil anything just doing some really weird funny <laughs> shit uh, next really, season that i'm very excited about really looking yeah. forward to that and sorry to interrupt you 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 pitched that to me a while back and uh um i can't tell you how excited i mean i was laughing just when you gave me like a paragraph of kind of what was swimming around in your mind so i love that you one thing that Seth said uh, to me when he was on the podcast was he said that you have an idea for what you want to do with this and you're you commit to it. And that's what makes it easy to be a part of the show is that you are really basically a really good director. It sounds like as far as your idea is concerned. And I think that's awesome because I will. I mean, dude, I have that same addiction to the microphone that you were talking about. And I'll mm-hmm. put this thing in front of me and I'll never shut up. So I kind of need direction from time to time. Um, and I'm really excited about it. Now, I, I do want to tell you this because I think you'll be happy about this. You don't want to spoil stuff. Nobody wants to spoil stuff. But Seth was very excited about it when we were talking in here the first time. And we actually ended up cutting out like, I, I don't know, maybe two or three minutes of Seth talking about things that he has done that haven't aired quite yet. And so, oh, right, or, yeah. or maybe maybe it wasn't that they haven't aired. They haven't even been like recorded. They're just concept and they're on the docket for what's coming up. And so we went ahead and, and pulled all that out because I don't want to spoil your damn podcast on my podcast. What kind of stupid shit would that be? Um, you Extremely know. kind of you. I mean, <laughs> but, that was your that was your audio to do with what you want. I wouldn't held it against you. But that's awesome. Well, everybody. Yeah, Seth, Seth is kind of the way it works is that every season kind of has a different focal character. Uh like Tanya Kornilovich, who's a very funny Eugene slash Chicago comic, was the main character of last season. I mean, I'm quote unquote the main character because I host the show. But uh, Seth's character, whose name is Matt Marcus, is the main character this season. And he's got this like horrible situation where most of the people who go through what what my character also went through, which is a 10 billion year long shift. Uh, of time travel with like the CIA slaps this thing on your wrist and then it just keeps you alive for 10 billion years. You're stuck, you know, time traveling, trying to stop this event that's going to kill everybody on earth. Uh, Almost nobody escapes with their mind intact after 10 billion years. You know, almost everybody either comes out just a vegetable or like insane in some way. And, uh, and Seth plays this character, Matt Marcus, who's in that latter group. And his problem is that, like, he's got, like, the short-term memory of a goldfish now. And he just keeps asking the same five questions over and over again. Like, <laughs> who am I? What year is it? Are you a friend or an enemy? He just keeps resetting <clears throat> over and over again. And he's, like, he's all PTSD'd out from his his experiences. And, like, so, yeah, this season's all about this character and trying to, like, break this this spell over him see if he can fix his mind and he's doing like legit he's very funny on the show but he's also just doing like legit emotional heavy lifting on the show and i and i like you know i'll like give him a scene the way that, that i write scenes i it's like been a real process to figure out i've learned that 
the best thing I can do is not write out word for word dialogue is to just like give people a script where their lines are the gist of what they should say and let them kind of go inside and figure out how they want to say that thing, you know? And, uh, and it's the performance that I'm getting out of Seth each week is like so uncanny and so good. And I, and I, I'll, I'll like, I'll finish a script and I'm like, Oh, big stuff for Seth this week. Big stuff for <laughs> like, how am I, how is he going to handle this? But he's all, he's so game. Yeah. He's so game on the most recent episode. Like, he was like he he briefly figured out what his character briefly figured out what's going on with him and he just begs me to kill him and i remember <laughs> i remember just giving that scene to Seth, just like hey buddy let me know if you want to talk before this thing and figure some things out. He's like, no, I got it. He's so good. He's That's legit, awesome. man, for sure. He is and i was so lucky to have him in here on the podcast and um totally uh screwed up and and recorded his whole podcast through my webcam that I was sitting, you know, a couple feet from and he was sitting 8 feet from. So, um that only took, you know, four and a half, five hours of editing for an hour and a half long podcast just to make it so that it was listenable. So, Seth <sighs> is on the very top of the list of you're coming back and you're talking into a microphone that's actually on. Um so I am really excited to have him back on because uh dude is one of the funniest guys I have ever met man and he's been doing it for a long time in all sorts of different forms you know you you might just know Seth from stand up but he's a hilarious writer too he's done all sorts of stuff and the voice acting is something that um I mean, I would call him super underrated after listening to your show because the dude is really good and he's he he's committed to it too and I think that that just goes to show um you know the talent that Seth really does possess. If he, if he's on a show, go see him, go read him with Savage Henry. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to have him on this podcast. He's on your podcast. You can find the dude and you should definitely do that because, uh, not only is he hilarious, he's like one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Like the dude doesn't have a mean bone in his body. At least if he does, he's never showed it to me. So, um, I love him and, uh, he will definitely be coming back into the man room. Even if he doesn't want to, I'll force him. He's got an extremely big heart, an extremely kind dude, and uh, and I first of all, kudos to you because I listened to that Milstein episode. <clears throat> Whatever magic you worked, that was shockingly, shockingly confident to listen to. <laughs> well, I'm from, I'm glad you think so. Audio, yeah, the the Logic Tech like 270e audio. It, we talked about this a little bit pre-show. It's a it's an input for my uh, my digital audio workstation that I've never used. I've never turned the microphone on that webcam on on any part of any place in my whole setup here. And for some reason, that day, I woke up and I came up thinking everything was the same as it was the day before. And no, it just decided to sleepwalk into using my webcam as my microphone. And you, as somebody that works with audio every day or, or a lot during the week, um, you know, we talked to Tanner and Drew about this, my former radio colleagues, uh, Carl uh, Sunberg is going to be on the show. Um, actually, he'll be the show right before you, so people will already have heard him. We all have the same fucking problem where we'll wake up one day and we'll turn everything on, and it's like somebody came in drunk and switched all of our shit. Why is that? Gremlins, dude. It's fucking gremlins. They're in our <laughs> shit. Yeah, I mean, it's such a rite of passage, especially in podcasting, to have like a lost episode early on or a fucked up audio episode early on. My horror story was, I think it was episode four of Play It By Year. I did the whole broadcast. I finished the episode. Somehow, I unclicked the button that records the whole show. Oh, I just no. didn't have it. I had a whole lost episode, all these calls to everyone's fucking credit. Everybody involved with that episode, I reached out to them like in in my anxious and and 
miserable state. And I was like, do you have like 10 minutes tomorrow to call back and do your thing again? To their credit, everybody fucking did it. And I, and I just recut the whole thing, uh, to tape instead of live. But yeah, it's like, it's a, it's a total, I don't, I don't know how to account for it. Cause I swear to fucking God, I did not push a button that unchecked the thing, but a thing got unchecked. I have no fucking idea, but I will say that, that like, as supernatural as that sounds, as as without explanation as that sounds, it really does seem like a thing that stops happening a few weeks in. Yeah. Like like all of those scary moments that you have where you're like, I fuck it, I lost the thing, or the thing's all messed up. Somehow or another, eventually everything starts to cooperate and you just get it exactly how you want. And and that's not a thing you're wrestling with anymore. I love this show and I'm so excited that you had me on, dude. Like I can't even tell. I, like I don't think you even know what the what the Donkey Show <laughs> appearances meant to me on a personal level, and like what you this you did a couple of really key things for me in my involvement with that show that like have forever inured you to me as like one of my favorite guys, an extremely rare personality in the business uh, of just a an extremely compassionate and generous guy. And so, like, the second you were like, come do my thing fucking any day, any day, man, I'm, I'm here with bells on. I, I started, uh, I think I got on the first time because Castles, like, co-signed for me, or maybe because I was doing Donk Gong, uh, the, the gong show, uh, a couple of times. And, you, and, like, I came on a few times, it went fine. And then I just, like, I no-showed for one or two in a row and uh, because I was a depressed loser who couldn't get out of bed or leave my apartment uh in an extremely dark moment in my time and i remember just like listening to the show and thinking like there's another bridge that you burned being a a crybaby fuck up and like it was like two or three months later and you reached out to me i think on facebook messenger and you were just like hey man i just want to check on you i want to see if you're okay i know that uh that some things fell fell apart i know that you've talked about on stage and, and in person about your you know, emotional stuff. I've, I've gone through stuff like that too. Just like, if you want to talk to me anytime. And I, and I just remember thinking like, this never happens the, in the biz, uh, in broadcasting and comedy, like you, you, you fuck up your opportunities. That's it. You know? And you just reach out to me as a human being. We talked through it and you were like, dude, if you feel ready anytime you want, you can always come back. And I just like, fuck man, that's so kind. And then I did, I came back for like, that whole last run of the before before uh, the the other shoe dropped and 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 the donkey show you know exploded for a little while. I think I was doing it like every every week there, and I and I and I completely just like just having that show every week as as a piece of structure and a really aimless time for me was also huge. I just I don't know. I credit you with a lot. I always think about that moment. That's just one of the kindest things somebody I've known in a professional sense has ever done for me. And, uh, and so I hope I'm not spoiling for your audience that you're actually like a fucking great dude <laughs> and not, and not the, uh, uh, rock jock, uh, uh, edgelord, uh, uh, you know, bad boy. You're actually like a, you're actually a total sweetheart. We've hugged. We numerous have, times. we have hugged. In fact, I think pretty much every time we see each other, which is once again, as we said at the beginning off the top, it's been too long and, um, too long. dude, thank you so much for saying those things, because to be honest with you, like, uh, you know, there was a lot happening, of course, around that radio show and everything, and, and in the years um, since, and and I I vaguely remember that and being, you know, just wanting to have the best talent on the show because Drew and I were doing everything that we could, not only to 
to keep the show, you know, keep the train moving. Um, but also, like, you know, we wanted to be involved in the Eugene comedy scene. Both of us wanted to do what we could for not only the other comedians, but for ourselves and our own stand-up, you know, career, if you want to call it that. We were trying to get out there and get our names out there and... Um, you were always so fucking funny, dude. You, you don't give yourself enough credit. Even I, you know, what pisses me off more than anything is I had one of your Flynn five at fives. I told you that I had that clip, but what mm-hmm. I realized is it's just, it's rot with licensed music because we were on the radio. And so oh, of course, playing yeah. it would bumpers cause and bumpers and bumpers for days. Exactly. Playing it would cause a little bit of an issue, but I'm, I will send it to you because, um, this was actually, I think the week before the show ended for good, you we're going to come in and you no call no showed but not because of of what you were going through at that point in time we were past that your car broke down on the side of the road or something like that i remember this oh my god i remember yes and i had to figure i had to watch a fucking youtube tutorial on my phone (laughs) to figure out how to how to put my car into neutral without being able to turn the ignition on because a toyota locks you the fuck out yes i remember this and this (laughs) like Super nice Mexican dude who owned a restaurant was the one who like saved my life eventually. I think I got there eventually, right? Like late. You did, and we. I was listening. I have all that audio, so I'll send that to you too because we were, we were. Um, you know, you could say that I'm, I'm kind and everything, and big heart and all that stuff, but we were, we, we definitely let you have it for not. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and, and you took it, you took it amazingly. Like and that's one of the other reasons too is. What people don't realize about that show is is one thing that, and I got scolded for talking about the donkey show too much, but I don't care. It's a big part of my life. It's one of, of the course. reasons I have the connections that I can actually reach out to somebody like you, somebody that's insanely talented and really funny, and will make this a great episode. And you'll be there. I, that that is, I owe that to the radio show. And, um, you know, people always said to me like, the reason we love that show is because it feels like everybody's in on the conversation. It feels like you sure. guys are just sitting there bullshitting and we're a part of it and you're a part of it and you're talking about stuff that happened and we can call in and, you know, that that is a big part of it. But the biggest part of that is making it sound like that requires everybody to be bought in that's in that room. Nobody can be sitting there worried about their ego. Nobody can be worried about if you get made fun of, if you're the butt of the joke, if you're uh, the guy delivering the joke, you can't, you can't sit on your high horse because it's coming around. Somebody's going to knock you off your pedestal sooner or later. And you, uh, you and, and, you know, Seth too, and, and Mike McGowan, who's going to do the show. I'm actually recording a podcast with Mike McGowan in a couple of days. That's the reason that you guys were always invited in is because you had thick enough skin and you had a quick enough wit as a comedian that it was like being in the boxing ring with yourself. And it's like every punch that you throw is going to get thrown right back at you with equal fervor. And that's what makes it fun, you know? Yeah. And I, and I remember like after a few weeks of doing it, like knowing that I could go there with you guys too. Like I could, I could fuck around with true. I could fuck around with you, even though I'm just this, I'm a guest in your home, you know, you see something. And the thing is, is that like, if your instincts are in the right place that you know you're you're going live out through the wire onto the into the radio the second somebody finds the funny in the situation even if that funny comes at the expense of whatever your pride you're like fuck yeah let's get into it right <laughs> yes. yes absolutely let me stick my head in the guillotine this is going to be great let's do it yeah uh, absolutely yeah, I mean, I, I think you got to be probably got to be like a little fucked up in the head that the thing <laughs> that most matters to you is to is is just to like make an interaction joyful and compelling, you know? Yeah, uh, it, it's it's a little bit of like an ego death at a certain point where you where 
you cannot really be thinking about your image in service of of hopefully entertaining a person and you and drew were so fucking good together on that show too i know that like behind the scenes of that show you know it was calamitous and and uh unpredictable whatever do you mean (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i was i was fucking there i was there day that like certain people would get like fired or moved and it was like a huge scary thing and like the you could feel the people breathing down your neck the the management and like you know just the not because the show wasn't doing well the show was doing great the landscape wasn't doing well right and the 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 beautiful the pure thing though is that like as soon as the light goes red and the and the, the faders are up like you really did see even on like your and drew's face living and knowing more than i knew about what was happening behind the scenes there like it's always fun to be live on the radio with funny people even if the ship the ship is sinking like the 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 joy is still so accessible when you're in that when you're in that place you know like i but kudos to you guys i know it was not fucking easy i know it was scary and weird towards the end and I remember, I don't remember if you, I think you called me or Drew, one of you guys called me the day that it, that it, that it happened, that the ax came down. Yeah. Cause you were due I, to come on the next day. Your day was Thursday yeah. and we got clipped on Wednesday. So that's right. Yeah. And I just, I just remembered like, I remember thinking like to, you know, to some extent the writing was on the wall. I always expected that there would be one other like step between where you guys were and that step you know like i always thought they would find some way to kind of clip that show's balls off but have it continue in a in a reduced state for a little while before they did that you know Mm -hmm. uh and i and i just remember thinking like fuck there goes such a, a fun thing in my life a thing that so many people in this town like have care about and have cared about for years and and also just like what what a waste of 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 talent and what a waste of a community and i remember seeing you at a tailgate at the uvo like maybe like a month or two later or something like that it would have been a probably about three months because it was july that that happened mm-hmm. mid-july so yeah just after summer and the books had come out too and you knew that you'd you'd finished at number one and it was just like fucking oh it's like both vindicating and infuriating yeah you know what i mean it really was and you know i held some grudges for a long time i i probably um you know th- that company tried to hire me back two different times i was i was offered both part-time and full-time and um you know you can call it pride i might be in terrestrial radio still right now if i hadn't have been so prideful but i um, I said to the person that offered me a job, which was, you know, one of the flagship uh, ship stations, it wasn't going back to work for the station that had flipped and was now country. It was it was going to work for the now most popular station on the morning show, which would have been, you know, a good gig. And I it was partially financial. But more than anything, I was talking to my wife I was like, can I get up in the morning and look at myself in the mirror while working for the same person that put me through that bullshit? You made me sign a goddamn uh, uh, basically a hush order that says that I won't go to the press just so you'll give me a $700 severance. Fuck you. If you did it to me once, it's going to be that much easier to do it again. Um, oh, completely. But I have this love yeah. for it. You know, I want to broadcast and that's, you know, you mentioned it earlier with your podcast that there's no management and there's nobody saying, don't make that decision. And you know what? I think the donkey show would have been even better off going all the way back to, to when Tanner and drew conceived the notion. If every single time management got in their pants about something, 
if that wouldn't have happened, the show would have been that much better because those guys and, and you know, later on, uh, obviously us, but they've always known what they were doing and it's always been played off. I, I'm sure it's not like this now where they're up in Portland. Everybody's grown up. Everybody's been a professional for two, three decades. Everybody's figured it out. But I always felt like, and I think that Tanner and Drew would echo this, I always felt like they looked at us as a bunch of punk kids that were down there doing something that we didn't know, like almost like we were playing with a gun and we didn't know it was loaded. And it's like right. we the best part about playing with this gun is knowing that it's loaded. Like that's what gets us to where we need to be to make this thing happen is the potential oh, for, sure. for having somebody kick the door in and shut the mics off forcibly. You know, that's what's fun about it. And with this podcast, I don't ever have to worry about that, which takes a little bit of the, you know, the risk away and the sexiness, but still I'm doing it for that reason because I feel like management, especially if your background is in business and you're managing a team of broadcasters, you're making the wrong decisions most of the time. That's from the artist standpoint. I don't know what the business guys are going to say, but I don't look at the bottom line. I look at the numbers, the ratings. You know, you know if the ra- the rarest creature in show business is the is the money guy whose like priority is the art, and they're. So there are so few of them, yep. you know, I, weirdly enough, most of them end up in really like elite positions. Cause it turns out that if you just say like, fuck legal, this is funny. Let's do it. Like that will carry your career forward, yeah. but it's, but it's, it's a fear-based thing. I'm not going to pretend that if I, that if I found myself on the other end of that microphone and like had a career in this industry that's in, in trouble and my job was to make sure that nobody you know raised a big stink about anything and that we spend as little money as possible and not, like i probably would have been making horseshit decisions too so i'm not saying that the people at those desks making those horseshit decisions aren't like they're not bad people they're not bad people they're just in a situation that produces awful decisions at least if your priority is to listen to a funny show on the radio. You yeah. know what I mean? Yep. And you don't have a choice either because your job is just as expendable as anybody else's in that position. I mean, you're still answering to someone, you know? Of and course. Of course. That's what's kind of cool about where we're at technologically now is that I basically have my own radio station. And there's nobody, that, if I say whatever I want, like you can't Janet Jackson's nipple find me anymore, FCC. You got no control over this. There's some weird yep. shit on the internet and I'm fucking part of it. Now, so you know, and I, I love that the freedom is really is really fun, and and it it's dude, you want to talk about scratching an itch? I mean, that's all there is to it. I should have been doing this five fucking years ago. I should have the minute that it didn't work out for me on that radio show, I should have started investing in equipment like I've just spent the last six eight months doing and done it. But I, you know, you talk about the different emotional stages that people go through. I, I felt like I didn't have it in me at that point. It's the only time in my life that I felt like somebody else's decision-making kept me from from being the person that I knew I should and could and wanted to be. I mean, you know, my dad asked me what I wanted to do after after high school and after college when I was, like, 16, and I was like, I don't care if I make 17 grand a year, I want to be on the radio. You know, and, and obviously that thought is, is wishful thinking as it comes, but I think it, it paints a picture. I was volunteering at a local radio station once a week at that point in time. Uh, it was a country station. They let me come on for two hours and play like whatever weird punk rock and stuff that I wanted to. And everybody in the county that I lived in hated it, except for my friends, because it was a, <laughs> a departure from all they'd known for the last four generations. You know, yeah. and, and God forbid it happened on the holy day. Um, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> 
right after mass. But no, uh, you know, I, I really do have a passion for this, and and you couldn't have said it better yourself. There's a feeling when the fader goes up and the microphone's on that you just can't really replicate. Um, I felt the same thing in stand-up comedy, which is one of those reasons I want to get back into that. And I wanted to ask you about that, too. Um, obviously, things are still kind of coming around. There aren't really any mics going on in Eugene right now. I know that there's some open mics going on in Portland. Um, are you? Is that something that you're wanting to get back into or going to get back into? Or have you kind of uh, left that stage of your life behind and are going to concentrate on broadcasting now? Where are you at with that? So I'm going to finish Play It By Year before I look at the next mountain to climb. Uh, because I mean, play it by year is a, it's an insane amount of time that has to go into that show. And like, it's, it's got a definitive end. I know how it ends. I know where it's going. And so like, once that's finished, I'll probably like take some time to breathe and think for a minute, but it, yeah, I really think that I'm going to end up back, uh, on stage doing this again. And I think that like, I want to have another goal, like the way that play it by year is working out where I'm going to have like a year and a half of my life or I'm really hyper-focused on this one thing. I'd love to do that same thing with stand-up because I, you know, I put in my time, I know how to do it, uh, but I really want to go back in with like an intentional purpose of like putting together a 45-minute special for myself, you know, miking the shit out of that material until I get it just cooking as hard as as hot as I can, you know, pull whatever strings I got at or record it in a cool little club and uh and then have a thing at the end of that where I'm like, all right, there's that's what a year of my my work of my life working on a thing looks like. I, my, you know, again, not because I'm I'm really not a careerist and I'm I, I don't have personal ambition about like where I want to be in the business. For me, it's 100% about the product standing on its own and being something that I'm proud of and being something that I believe in. Uh, and you know, I've had like an idea for uh, a, a stand up record for a while of like what I want to call it and how I want to package it. And like, so yeah, I think, and, and really before COVID having my kid greatly slowed down the amount of time that I, that I have to Mike and, and, you know, the amount of time that I have to think and write right. also. Uh, but, you know, once, once play it by year wraps it up, she'll be around four years old you know, hopefully there'll be preschools happening by then. We'll see. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean like, you know, I want, I want to have a thing that I, that I can stand by and say like, yeah, that's, that's my idea of what's funny is. That's how I do uh, funny on a stage. That's a good document of it. And then beyond that, you know, will I, will I necessarily be the guy who's, will I ever be the guy again, who's driving to four open mics a week just because I got to do it? I don't know because I've, I've learned that there are like other ways, other outlets for me creatively that I find just as satisfying as that. Uh, but I definitely want to go back and hit it hard and, and make a thing to show for the time that I put into the art form. Cause it's an art form that I believe in that I think is really special and really unique, you know, as much as like podcasting is, is belong is like a, a thing that belongs wholly to the creator and the, and the lead talent. Like, at the end of the day, you know, most podcasts have at least two voices in them. Uh, when you're on stage, and I mean, you, you've you done it too. And by the way, I want to talk to you about that after I finish this thought. But when, when you're on stage doing stand-up, like, I've played in bands before, you know, and I've had podcasts with, like, three or four people in the talent. There's nothing more liberated 
than the time you have on that stage. Yeah. Because you live and you die by your own successes and your failures. You cannot blame anyone. I mean, comics will try to blame the audience and yeah, there are dead audiences, but, to, but essentially like, it's like playing dark souls. You know, when you die in dark souls, it's cause you fucked up when you, <laughs> when you die on stage, it's cause you, you fucked, fucked up. up. Yep. But also you might have a bad gig, uh, when you're in a band because your drummer is fucking drunk and he took too long to set his shit up and half the room walked, you know, you can, you can, you can drive home going like a fucking terrible gig, but you know what? It was all Dan's fault. You don't get that. That's not the talk you get after a bad set. You got to be like, you got to get it together, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> you, better, you better fucking figure out what, what you're doing wrong and fix it. I love that. I love the, I love the, the nobody's telling you what to say or how to do it. And you're going to suck when you first start. But I, that's what I want to talk to you about because you and Drew would both do time at the, at the gong show. And I remember seeing Drew do it on stage and Drew is always really funny on stage, but he was funny on stage the same way that he was funny on the mic, uh, in the studio. When you would go on stage, I remember like, I would always sit there chatting with the comics about it thinking like Marcus could do this. Marcus could do this for realsies. If he, if he wanted to, obviously there was no reason for you to like, doggedly pursue it at the time and god knows there was no time i mean you had a you had a regular gig that that took up enough of your time and your energy but you can always tell like if somebody's got a real natural ability to orate like that on on a stage like you know when you're in the presence of that and i just remember like trying to talk to you about it once and being like you what you need to fucking do is start taping yourself up there and figure and like take the five things that are really killing for you and like go do a mic and and hone those things in and you gave me this like very very radio show host response where you're like i just feel fake when i do it more than one time i'm like what the fucker but that's the art <laughs> the art is you got to do it more than one time because it just gets better the yeah. more that you do it if you believe in it. But yeah, I, when you were talking to Seth at the end of that episode that you had him on about like, I don't know, maybe it's too late for me, but I'd love to come out and support it. I was like, I'd love to fucking see Marcus ma like make a go of, of doing that. Cause I think I always thought you were, you had like the spark in you and not, and again, Drew was really funny on, on stage on those things, but he wasn't, he was funny in the same way that he was in the, in the Bud Light studio. And, and like when you, when I, when you were locking into a story, it was just like, you were accessing a different part of your brain than you got to do on that stage, on that, on that show. So I, I, I don't know. I just like, yeah, I'd love for you to, once things get up and running again, you know, give it a shot. Don't be afraid to do the same joke more than once to make it a better <laughs> joke. Don't be afraid. Yeah, dude, I was, uh, and, and just to, to let people in behind the curtain a little bit, I think we might've talked about this with Seth a little bit, or maybe with Chris Castles. Um, but uh, you know, Donkey Kong Comedy, every Monday night we did that show, and I always felt like if I brought the same stuff, I also wasn't really supporting the idea of the radio show, you know, and, and so, and to be honest with you, there are sometimes too where, you know, you said like comics can blame the audience. The only time I've had a bad show is when it's the same guys that saw the same show last week and they're just <laughs> sitting there, like Seth said, reciting your jokes to themselves because they've already yeah, heard yeah. it. Um, that is, I think that's when the crowd is, is tough and at open mics, that's, that's what you have to compete with because that's what everybody is there for. They're either there to hear you workshop it or they're there to workshop it themselves. And, right. um, you know, comedy is one of those things that 
look, everybody likes to have fun, and the personalities you meet are probably going to be some of the most outrageous and eclectic and fun people that you're around. But they're competitive too, in a way that you don't. They don't. They didn't wrestle you for a football uh, back in high school. Um, but I'll tell you what, if you got up on that drama stage next to them, they would outact your socks off because that's that's oh. their comp, their competitive drive. And comedians are a lot like that, man. They they really will um, compete in sometimes, and I don't mean to say this all the time, and I won't mention any names because I think it happens to different people at different times. You hear somebody tell a killer joke. But then you also think, well, like, how come they didn't laugh like that when I told my killer joke? And you kind of start to, you know, f- try to figure out, is it is it them? Is it me? Can I can I hone it? I don't know, man. It's I, That was always weird. I felt like it was a really friendly atmosphere in Eugene, which kind of mm-hmm. scares me about going to do open mics in bigger cities because I feel like it might be one of those things that it's like they're going to intimidate the new guy, and I'm just forever going to be the fucking new guy. <laughs> you feel much more anonymous doing a uh, mic in a bigger city like that. But I also think it's good for you. I mean, I think that, like, that you know, if you really get serious about working it out and getting the muscle strong, the best thing you can do is a mix of, like, rooms that know and love you, rooms that don't give a fuck about you, rooms that don't give a fuck about anybody who are just, like, drunk old-timers and are just like, can I fight this bar until they pay attention to me? <laughs> like, that's also good. All the all these different audience experiences will, in theory anyway, work different muscles uh, in your brain and make you a better comic for it. But yeah, going up in big cities, like it's definitely more anonymous. You know, you, you definitely feel like weird talking to the in group and like, you know, I'm not established in this scene. Am I allowed to say, Hey, I like that set or whatever. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's less fulfilling certainly than, than when you're just like killing in a super friendly hometown crowd. But yeah, the, 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 you're right about the competitive, uh, uh, issue that exists among <laughs> comics like i i think that improv people who, who like go learn improv you know because improv is the thing that you have to like take classes to do properly because there's like rules there that don't exist in stand-up comedy uh in, people who train in improv they learn to trust other performers and they learn to listen to other performers to, to like make something funny together. And like, it really teaches you to get out of your ego. It's a lot more like being funny on the radio than, than standup is. I feel like, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's definitely like, I'm sure you've had it too, where you've like had funny comment when you were doing the donk show, I'm sure you had it where you like see somebody really funny, go up at donk gong. And then you like have them in the room with you. And it's like, it isn't coming as, as easily and some of that is just because comics have no incentive to play nice with others. And so yeah. they don't like learn that skill set of, of, of trusting the other guy to have the next line and like, you know, maybe setting them up for it, maybe giving them a breath to do it. You know, that kind of, that kind of shit is like so much more finessed. Uh, you know, I, I, I utilize some improv comics from Portland on play it by year. And it's always like such a good feeling to know that like, all right, this next break, I like I could phone it in and, and it's going to be funny because this person's going to kill. And I mean, you know, like I remember Chris was always so funny on that show when you'd have him on. Mac Chase was always really funny. He'd do like some great voice stuff. Oh, yeah. I fucking love Mac, too. I, I love too. Mac. I will definitely have Mac on if he will come on. Um, I have not uh, had luck getting in touch with him at this point, but. Um, you want to talk about a bad crowd. I Mac performed in front of the worst crowd I've ever seen at one of our Donkey Show Throbbit parties. Um, it was at the – it's a place called, I think, like Sidelines, but it was John Henry's, and it was – they decided to have our big 
uh, middle-of-the-year party that we had once a year at this bar that they had just closed down a Eugene institution that was known for letting you come in and drink after hours for <laughs> just uh, free. Uh, you know, it's like there were so many people that loved this bar, and they shuttered it and turned it into a sports bar. They completely gutted uh, it. And then they expected us to go there and have a good show. Oh, yeah, it was in downtown Eugene, which is just... A, it's downtown Eugene. If you've never been, please come on down and enjoy it. Take it all in. Drink it in, if you will. Uh, but Mac got up there. He was the only comic that had gone up. First of all, the stage was like six inches tall, and it was sitting right in the middle of the dance floor. And so Mac went on, and he grabbed the mic, and he got 45 seconds into his set, and a woman sat down crisscross applesauce on the floor in front of him and just started screaming at the top of her lungs, just not screaming a word. <laughs> Just straight up screaming, and it was that that scream like that pig squeal. You know that pig squeal when somebody hits that register and your eye pops out and you have to shove it back in? And Mac just, I mean, Mac tried. I think he did five or six good strong minutes, and that woman's pipes just kept singing. And, you know, that's sometimes that's stand-up comedy too, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. For sure it is. For sure it is. And, I mean, like... That's so brutal. That's so fucking brutal. Like, imagine if imagine if you would occasionally get a caller on the doc show who wanted to fuck with you guys in a bad way and not like a let's make it fun way, you know? Imagine if you didn't have the button to hang up on oh that god. guy. Oh my god. <laughs> imagine if, if you didn't have the button. And that's you know, comedy stand-up can definitely be that moment for you where you're like, there's nothing I can do about this. Yep. This man has has by force of will become the main character of this room. I will not wrest it back from him because he is he wants it more than me. Right. Clearly. He might physically he, fight if me. Sit there and scream for five <laughs> minutes, like wreck her throat for the next day. She wants it more than me. I don't know how to I don't know how to beat her. I can't beat her. It's one of the things you compete with doing comedy in downtown Eugene is what I like to call pop up performance art. You never know when it's gonna hit. <laughs> You just are walking, and all of a sudden, there's a guy dancing in front of you. It's a pop-up performance art, and you can stand there and watch him, or you can carry on with your business. They don't care. They're not there for you. Oh, yeah. No. There's no variable for them. They could be alone in the mirror. They could be at Carnegie Hall. They don't give a shit. They're going to keep doing exactly what they're doing. It's a freak-heavy town. There's some real (laughs) freaks in Eugene, Oregon. And, I mean, God bless them. Some of them rule. Like, when when you end up at a bus station... You know, with a with a real old timer who probably like knew Jerry Garcia and shit, and like he's a total burnout now. He probably has like four kids who don't talk to him, and he's got like a thousand yard stare in his eye. Those are some of the best conversations you can have in the fucking world <laughs> with those dudes. They they have great stories. They're total. They're complete space cases. Yeah, I mean, like Eugene is a real cross section of humanity for sure. Uh, you know, I'm in I'm in Roseburg now, which is like more of a libertarian psycho enclave. Very different uh, uh, world for free, me. Free state of Jefferson, right? You get a lot of that down there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a lot of you know, uh, Governor Kate Brown is holding this state hostage. She's the devil. A lot of that stuff. I I love to roll up to like free speech row where the people are picketing and just like, you know get the sense of like so what's your deal you like it's guns it's usually guns it's normally guns yeah yeah Yeah, down there i can imagine big time and that you know of course this is not a funny place to go but of course roseburg was the site of a terrible mass shooting about what four years ago yep and uh and you'll sometimes see it was at ucc at the at the 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 community college Mm -hmm. uh the umqua community college and you'll see people in their 
you know, their Dodge trucks with the with the high rise tires with an Oregonian bumper sticker with the crossing assault rifles that underneath say like UCC strong, never forget. And you're just like, well, you clearly have a different way of thinking about things than me. <laughs> you know, I mean, God bless you for sure. But I, you know, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. The, 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 it's a, it's a different, it's a whole different world here in Roseburg. I've met some really beautiful, lovely people. And I met some people who want make me want to tear my fucking hair out. Uh, you know, cause like I've libertarians make great friends. I've never been like a true libertarian, but there are certain times in this, in this, uh, in, in the history of humanity where like the things that I don't like about libertarianism really rear their ugly head. And boy, has COVID been one of those times. <laughs> boy, mean, have the libertarians really reminded me why, why I belong on the other side of the line for them. Oh, God, man. I'll tell you right now, uh, COVID was really good at highlighting everybody's bad things. Like, I, I looked in the mirror one time during the lockdown, and I was just like, where did those features come from? Is this a feature of lockdown? Is that I now look different to myself because of what's going through my own fucking head? I mean, it was like being on acid. And in watching, yeah, like a like a year long bad acid trip. Yeah. Well, it's and it's a year long. We're still going. The clock's still ticking on our bad acid trip. I haven't come down yet. I'm at that point now where I'm laying in bed, but all the lights and sounds are too bright and loud, and I can't fall asleep. I just want to fall asleep. When I wake up in the morning, I'm gonna be sane again. I'm not. It's not gonna be like this after I wake up. Oh fuck yeah, for sure. And I mean, like, it was worse early on for me. I don't know about you, but do you remember, like, the April that never ended? Oh, the, yeah. The, yeah. I was, like, an emotional, terrible mess throughout that April. And I remember, like, because it was so hard to adapt to just, like, even even if you're not, I don't have, like, a full social card. I'm not fucking going to the, the potato sack race on Sunday <laughs> or whatever. But just not being able to fucking go to a grocery store to go for, you know, like take your kid to the playground to to just the little things that change your environment and like put you in contact with other people throughout your week. Having that taken away, it was such a weird dilation of time. Do you remember how long that April was? It just felt like it was very acid like where you're like how long ago did i take that hit and people are like 15 minutes and you're like fuck <laughs> i lived a thousand lives in that 15 minutes except for it's just like this april that and like i was i was you know, i learned the word doom scrolling you know the word doom scrolling i don't because i mean all the, all these apps have created marcus this terrible feature where you can just scroll endlessly there's no bottom of the page right whether you're on facebook or instagram or TikTok or 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 twitter you can just scroll forever and the and everybody wanted to talk about how bad how grim shit was so doom scrolling i don't remember who taught me the the phrase but it so described what i was doing just like looking at everybody's doom takes forever and scrolling and scrolling and i remember my family started this thing on zoom my first zoom call ever was with my family like extended family aunts and uncles and shit. I have like a, on my mom's side, it's all Jewish. And so they're all like very funny, loud, boisterous people. And they were start they started a, a weekly zoom cocktail social. And again, the wife and I really into making cocktails. So like, perfect, cool. Let's all get on zoom and hang out with the family. We did the first week and then we did the second week. And it was like, we were really settling into that, that March, April where things had, the world was different now, mm -hmm. you know? 
and the uncertainty of like what's next what happens you know how many are going to die how how different is this world going to be will it ever go back to normal all these terrible thoughts that are that are bouncing around my anxious head and all of our anxious heads at that time and i and i logged into the zoom call after like a particularly difficult week i'm a stay-at-home dad so my human interaction for the most part is like a three-year-old child a two-year-old child and then like my wife comes home from a hard day at work and she's like i just, I just want to go to bed you know so so i was excited i was like really looking forward to this call and i logged in and all anybody wanted to talk about was just the grimmest shit you know i saw this projected death toll i saw this way that like our leaders are failing us and and like i was so hungry for human interaction that it's like i was hanging on every word that they were saying but also like every word was just a dagger into my soul and i just like one of just definitely one of like the lowest mental health moments of my life of recent like since i've kind of gotten my shit together was that whole first but it did i don't know about for you it, they talk about it in like the holocaust for example of just like you know if you're if you're in a shitty situation long enough you will eventually make it your new normal and feel like yourself again. I eventually did feel like myself again. Like yeah. I've, I've learned that if you lock the world up for a year, eventually I'm going to start making dick and fart jokes again and feeling <laughs> like this is the same knucklehead douchebag that I always am. Feeling like know? myself again, finally, you know, and there's, it's a little bit weird because you think the first thing that comes to mind when you, when you characterize it like that, which by the way, I, I agree with all of it, but it's a little bit Stockholm syndrome-y almost. It's like, you know, it, it's you and the four walls, and are sooner or later you're okay with that. And is that just because exposure to the four walls? I mean, I used to like to go outside. It's nice outside. <laughs> I have these dogs I could walk, but I also haven't taken off my robe for six days. So I'm a little confused yeah. as to what I actually like now because the dog doesn't look like he wants to go for a walk either. But he's Stockholm syndrome with me as the leader. So it's like... I don't know. It was it was really weird for me. Um, I I was really scared at first, and um, I, I have no trouble admitting this now. I had a lot of trouble admitting it back then, but I was terrified. I thought that you know people close to me were were compromised, and I was worried about that. And I think that part of that probably is doom scrolling. I think looking at the news, like I remember it when when my wife wasn't working, her dental practice was closed down. Uh, my company that I was working for at the time had given us the option uh, we could work from home, and, and if it worked out, um, they would let us do that if we were concerned about it. And so I, I took advantage of that because I've never been that scared. I wasn't that scared when I woke up on September 11th, 01, and watched the towers fall because totally. I, I mean, I wasn't. Yeah. I was not that scared when we were under attack, and I think that it was kind of, you know, who knows what kind of political gain these things might have been, you know, trumped up for, if you will. And I hate to use that word because get this thing demonetized <laughs> or some shit. But, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> I, I feel like now looking back on it that I, I fell victim to the, the basically the mainstream narrative that half the country was going to die. And I got a little bit of, of heat coming back on me from that, from the company I worked for. And it was it was funny because I could tell that the mindset that they had was a subject of me being scared and wanting to work from home. And then they viewed me as a different person after that. Like I wasn't the star employee anymore. I was the piece of shit that didn't care about the company over my family. And mm. and that might be a that might be a bit of a fabrication too. I don't know. 
Um, I know the guy that was my direct manager is one of my good friends, and he never felt that way. He was always um, super understanding, never gave me a side eye. I still have beers with him all the time. I don't know that about ownership, and the ownership of the company, um, I think, had a real sour taste for somebody that was literally scared into wanting to protect my family. And, like, and dude, I've never done stuff like this before. We have, like, a box of food that was just all, like, canned and non-perishables just sitting in the pantry because we didn't know when or if the stores weren't going to be open. And that turned itself into, well, now I have two Tupperware bins of, like, emergency camping supplies and a backpack with a gun in it and, like, stuff like that stashed away in my garage should the whole fucking thing crumble. And that is not me. I'm not that paranoid person. So that's how COVID changed me. It might have prepared me for unknown things that are going to happen in the future, but it turned me into a paranoid mess that I have never been before in my life. And, you know, I'm a rule follower. Um, I I grew up on the water doing a lot of water sports, and um, I've been always – my dad still tells me to this day, he's like – I don't know where you learned how to be so safe around the water because I didn't teach you, but you're the safest person around the water. And that was always my thing is like, well, I'm safe enough not to be paranoid. That's, that's how I feel about it. If I make sure that nobody's doing anything stupid out here, then we don't even have to worry about what might go wrong. And I I had no control over that for COVID and, um, you know, a little bit of a bummer. It kind of led to this though, because I, I, you know, it, it gave me a chance like Seth, Seth and I talked about it when he was in here. 2020 is the chase your dream year, bro. Everything's fucked. <laughs> you might as well go for it, yeah. you know? So, um, yeah. you know, that's kind of where the whole thing came from. And and this podcast was born out of Zoom calls with my buddies, my college buddies that none of them live here anymore. Um, they're, as, they're up in Seattle, out in New York, Bend, all over the state. And about once a week, we would get on the Zoom and just drink some beers and just talk to each other. And there was some of those times where you kind of, you know, let's say you bring up an, an opinion about something that's going on and you hear somebody throw it back in your face. This is a lifelong friend that's never talked to you like that before. And they get super defensive about something. It's like, okay, it's understandable. Everybody's on edge here. Nobody knows what's going on. Dude, I this last year of, like, look at my marriage the the amount of like fights that have happened where at the end of them we're like we're both just going fucking crazy right now yep this is a this is a, a unprecedented fucked up time i mean we also have a toddler so like sleep's never great right but also <laughs> but also like yeah i mean the 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 toll that it's taken on my personal relationships and just like i've i've i'm not a pick and fights guy I'm not that guy, but I've picked some fucking fights uh, over the last year. I like to think that it's settled in and gotten a little bit easier and better. But yeah, like the marriage was put through, was put to the test, not in like a serious, is this going to make it way that it, that like, you know, this, the, the previous years of smooth sailing had, had never known before. Yeah. I mean, like you talk about like your college friends, you know, you'd never heard somebody kind of step to you that way. It's 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 been a trial for relationships and for our sense of like where we're willing to go, what what kind of hills we're willing to die on and shit like that. Yeah, I mean, like what a what a fucking through the looking glass year it's been. I I I still have managed, you know, three months into twenty twenty one to hang on to my optimism of like, you know, now I see the I see the break in the clouds. I see the I see the sunlight. Uh, shining in as if I'm drinking that IPA that will 
that will put the 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 misery of winter behind me and emerging and sunshine me to the splendor of spring emerging sunshine right there characterizing mm-hmm. this is going to be a really random question but it just popped into my head and i don't know why something about the rays of sunshine have they canceled indian in the cupboard yet <laughs> oh okay so i remember do you remember the 90s one yeah the 90s indian in the cupboard that's the only one i know it's the only one I know too. Uh, the, so I have to, I have to remember, I have to imagine that that just the use of the I word itself will will. Frank Oz directed this. Sorry, I'm getting on Google <laughs> in the middle of the cast. You IMDb it. You IMDb it. Now it's in the. Now it's in your internet history. So I mean, hey man, I I appreciate you doing some research for the show and everything, but uh, you're on thin ice now, bro, because you're <laughs> you're essentially wearing the t-shirt. Okay. Yoda. Yoda directed. Uh, the, Kathleen Kennedy produced it. This is basically a Star Wars movie. And he did the covered at this point. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, I have to imagine that whoever's sitting on those rights, we're not going to see that remake for a long time. <laughs> well, that's not coming. It's going to be called White Guy in the Cupboard. <laughs> just gonna, every time he tries to peek out, they're just going to slam the door on him. So, oh, yeah. man. Dude, Dylan, I asked you for an hour. We've gone uh, over that at this point in time. Um, if you've got anything else that you wanted to talk about, anything else on your list, let's get to it. And then I'll let you get back to being a, a good family man, dude. Um, I, I, I Here's one thing that I did have written down um thank you for not pulling some kind of poor taste april fool's joke because i fucking hate april fool's day and it is today we're recording this on april 1st i've been against this for so long and i think the Mm -hmm. whole point of like we all prank each other on the same day really really just defeats the purpose but i really appreciate you not coming on with some trumped up bullshit there i said it again thumbs down thumbs down for april fool's jokes between friends because i mean you should be fucking with each other all don't make it don't make a dumb holiday and excuse to do that. April Fools is just for judging the humor attempts of of corporations. <laughs> there you, you go. Know? There you go. I'm just looking like Google, not funny. Not funny. <laughs> I'm funnier than Google. <laughs> Fuck off with your 10 trillion dollar, you know, capital. You rule the world. You're not as funny as me, Google. <laughs> I do like it though when they make weird shit that you can actually play with. You remember one year that like before Pokemon Go ever existed, Google put Pokemon all over the 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 map. And oh. You could like drive around and find them and shit. It's cool. It's cool when they put money behind it and give me a thing to play with. But other than that, <clears throat> I don't need April Fools. I've heard before though that in in uh, in Great Britain they have a different rule where it's like I don't I'm don't quote me on this, but like all of the jokes have to be done before noon, hmm. and then and then afternoon. You got to be back to earnest again. So it's like, I think that's interesting. That's more interesting to me. That makes April Fool's feel, because I always feel like, Marcus, that the that the value of a, of a holiday for me is like, A, does it have a mascot? It needs a mascot to be a good holiday. Uh, does it have a song? At least one song that I can associate with a holiday. Does it have a special thing I can drink? Does it have a special thing that I can eat? Right. If it if it checks those four boxes, it's a good holiday. If it doesn't, then I I don't need it. And I you know I feel I feel the exact same way as you do about April Fools. And I bet you that most people who work in comedy do too, because it's just like it, to me it's just like 
It's just inviting motherfuckers who don't know what they're doing to overstep their bounds and do some shit that's going to piss everybody off in the name of trying to be funny. Stay in your lane, you know, fuck with your friends, 365, maybe 364. Maybe April Fool's Day is the day that you that you never fuck with your friends. Take you a know? vacation. Yeah. I mean, call them on Christmas and tell them that uh, something terrible happened. That's fine. But just don't do it that's on April fine. 1st. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's a good point, man. I would so much be rather just somebody walk up and pie me in the face and kick me in the nuts than trying a bad prank that you can see through. <laughs> you know? It's like, I know what you're fucking doing, and I'm only going to go along with it because I'm your friend, but don't consider that something that's just, you know, that's finite at this point because you you opened this book. So <laughs> <sighs> tell me where yeah, I can listen what, to Maybe we could fix it, though. Maybe we could fix April Fool's Day. Maybe, first of all, it needs a mask off. So immediately my brain goes to Falstaff, the fool from the Shakespeare plays. So let's get him in there with his gesture hat. He'll be our, he'll be our Easter bunny. Then it needs a song, Send in the Clowns. Yeah. That's, that's already out there. Or what's that one, the, the one that they always put like the, the hardcore dancers to? The Benny Hill theme. But yeah, there Benny you go. Benny, Benny Hill theme, maybe. I mean, that, I don't know. That might make me hate it more. But I, I like where we're going here. The Flynn Four, uh, the Flynn Four <laughs> necessary, uh, yeah, four ways yeah. to improve your holidays. So okay, so we've got the song, something to uh, eat. You said something to eat should be a banana cream pie because then you can just like you know eat a slice, throw the rest in somebody's face. Yeah, right. Perfect. I love it. Drinks harder. What's the what's the prank drink? What do you drink to prank somebody? You know anything? Um, there's. There's one shot out there, and it's not. Um, it doesn't taste like it looks, but it's like I, I think it was. Um, it was like Yukon Gold. You remember Yukon Gold? It was like kind of a flavored offshoot whiskey from from Yukon Jack, and you pour that right. in the shot glass, and then there was some type of cream liqueur that you put in it that coagulated, and it looked like um, like an Irish car bomb, kind of. Yeah, yeah, but even worse, it kind of looked like somebody had blown a snot rocket into it because it would like it would coagulate and it would hold its form. And uh, it almost kind of looked like jizz, to be honest. We might as well just say it. Everybody's thinking it. Um, and and that one, though, I, <laughs> when when I had it, I was actually like, wow, that's good. Because it doesn't look good. It looks like somebody put mayonnaise in a shot of Yukon Gold. <laughs> so yeah, maybe that's, that's the perfect. Drink. Whatever the name. I know what you're talking about, too. Whatever the, whatever the name of that, that's the drink. And then, okay, so now we got a carol. We got a food. We got a drink. That's pretty much it. I, the only thing I would say is that, like, there should be there should be a delineation of what a very young person can do and a very old person can do because like Halloween's perfect holiday, Halloween's a perfect holiday. Little kids go trick or treating, adults you know wear slutty clothes and get fucked up uh, at parties, right? Right. The, 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 the only problem with that is that like kids and adults are expected to do pretty much the same thing on April Fool's Day, which I think is still one of the big faults with that holiday you know what i mean i like, think i think maybe if you're if you're at a certain age if okay let's say you're between 10 now let's make it a little older you're between 12 and 18 years old mm -hmm. and you have somebody in your family that is over the age of 65 your joke every year is that you're putting them in the home and it's your job to make them feel <laughs> like it's real this year like that's just what you and and it just every year and you'll start to build to it for those years you know once you've been doing it for when you're 16 17 you're coming up on the end you're going to be like you think I'm joking but look at the calendar it's January and we're talking about this 
Find a nursing home that will call your house to give, to kind of like give the pitch, you know, be like, yeah, my, my aunt, she's looking into, into making this uh, transition, but she's just not sure if your facility is right. Can you call back and ask for her in about an hour and just kind of, you know, talk about the, talk about the, the recreation room, you know, talk about how you get the satellite television. That's, that's how you land it for sure. Yep. Yep. You need some help. It is intergenerational. Yes. You need some help. If you're older, if you're above 65 and you're trying to prank somebody that's in that 12 to 18 range, uh, your whole shtick is just that you're abandoning them. They don't have relatives anymore. You're they're alone. Don't you don't sleep here. And I mean, commit to it. Okay. Because you can, you can hire a couple of dudes off Craigslist to come and move a full room full of shit out into like a storage unit and just pretend that that's the way it is now. You know, I mean, really, We're going to fix this fucking holiday, Dylan. If we have more of these conversations, we will fix this holiday. We'll fix it eventually. We'll fix it eventually. We'll make we'll make it into Yeah, for sure. I think it's a very simple formula. People just don't give a shit, you know? Like I'm supposed to celebrate President's Day? How? Explain. Explain, <laughs> you know? Uh, storm the Capitol. Oh wait, no, no, no. Don't do that. <laughs> no, don't, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Just kidding. Dude, Dylan Thank you so much for coming on to the man room. That's the man room podcast, dude. We just did it right there. Thank you. I I can't tell you all the kind words that you said earlier in the podcast, just the amount of fun I've had just bullshitting with you uh, about whatever comes up. Um, You're, you're the embodiment of the reason I wanted to do this is to talk to my talented and, and uh, funny friends and just hopefully build their platform up as much as I can while also trying to build my own um, tell me where I can listen to play it by ear and then, uh, you know, anything else, any final thoughts that you have for the man room? Okay, sure. Go to Mixler.com, M-I-X-L-R.com slash Duff Dixon, D-U-F-F-D-I-X-O-N, uh, Sunday nights, 7 p.m. Uh, PST. If you want to listen to the show live, otherwise just look up play it by year, which again, it's like ear, but year, cause we're playing songs from different years on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever, if you want to subscribe to the show. Uh, if you want to get caught up on those recaps, you can look up Play It By Year, Richard's Recap, Richard being the character that my buddy Jeff Smith plays on that show, uh, to just kind of get the Cliff's notes on where we are in the story so far. Um, and as for final thoughts, I think the only one that makes sense is, like, I want to I want to propose a virtual toast between your IPA and my my uh my pearl divers punch to marcus's wife for (laughs) for going with him on this dream the man room podcast does not exist if were it not for marcus's fucking mvp of a wife going like do it yeah fucking follow your jollies marcus bridges also the other shocking thing to me is how immediately you sounded like a pro on that mic again amazing that you've been off for years and and it's just like you know five seconds hadn't passed those motherfuckers at k-fly they don't know what they were (laughs) who they were firing you're gonna make professional caliber talent you're gonna make me blush again and you're also not giving uh appropriate uh consideration to how much time i spent in a mirror talking into a hairbrush okay it was five (laughs) long years Dylan. (laughs) that was jim carrey's mo right he would do all stick in the mirror for years and then somebody like do it on stage and then he wrote himself a check for a million dollars what a weirdo total weirdo don't be like jim carrey be like marcus bridges when you make the man room podcast go listen to play it by year with duff dixon dylan once again thank you so much this will not be the only time that we do this my friend 
Um, I'm looking forward to uh, the conclusion. Well, actually, I'm looking forward to getting caught up and hearing the eventual conclusion of Play It By Year. And uh, we'll just keep cranking these types of things out for everybody that wants to listen. Go support Dylan. Please do uh, subscribe, like, rate. All that stuff helps. Um, please, if you want people like him to keep coming on this podcast, you got to build them up. That's the point. And if you're a Marcus Bridges fat fan, uh, I almost said fad. I'm a little bit deep in the Pearl Diver punch at this point. <laughs> That's the point. Uh, if you're a Marcus Bridges fan, be sure to tune in next season because I got some good stuff for Marcus Bridges <laughs> on Play It By Year. I'm very excited about it. Your voice is so distinct, and I just I think I can make it sing. Thank you, uh, dude. With some with some comedy on that show. Yeah, please do it with comedy. Don't make me sing. I have, you want to talk about karaoke woes? That's a whole different podcast, man. We will see you next time. It's a Man Room Podcast. Say thanks to Dylan Flynn one more time, dude. Thank you, and uh, we'll be around next week. Take a listen. Thanks for listening. And, and the transmission. The transmission. <laughs>